Life goals was ever it's like, man, I can't wait to the day I have to go to rehab. You know, I don't think that's on anybody's list. You know, so so when they come to us, they've gotten to a, the lowest part they've ever been in their lives. But the majority of the people that are in there, they're the top five percent of whatever profession that they come from. I mean, they're usually super talented. You you know, I mean, just something happened along the way. So the number one thing is to remember, remind them of who they are, not who they are not. You know, because all that we need to do is get rid of all that stuff that you're. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I'm excited to have Tom Spooner, co-founder of Warrior Heart, uh, Warrior's Heart. Tom, before we get going, I'm going to let you do a bit of an intro of your background. That way you can say what you want to say and not say what you don't want to say. Uh, sure. And, and yeah, Jess, thanks for having me on here. And so I'll go the brief overview of it and then we can dive into where you want but as so just to start off it was uh what, what really drove me into the military or my desire and passion for it was i had a grandfather that was world war ii vet and i had an uncle that was a uh, vietnam vet three tours so they were always my heroes i just always wanted to join the military and then so in 1990 i joined the military at the time nothing was going on you know nothing big was going on and then when i was at basic training is whenever the gulf war kicked off so uh, well when i Iraq invaded. So I did basic AIT. I had already been to jump school uh, because I went as a cadet. I was in ROTC for a little while and it didn't work out so well for me. So whenever I came in, went straight to the 82nd and, you know, and then immediately deployed to Saudi Arabia and then, you know, Iraq for the Gulf War, which had a huge impact on me, you know, going straight straight from a civilian, you know, into uh, war, you know, so had a big impact on me. I spent uh, five years in the 82nd from 90 to 95, then 96 to 2001, I was in 7th Special Forces Group, pre-9-11, working in Central and South America. And then September of 2001, I went out to selection at the unit, made it as an operator, and I was out there from 2001 until 2011, whenever I retired. Yes. <laughs> what what day in September did you go to selection? I was already I was already slotted, you know, to to go. I think it was around the twenty something, you know, like so twenty third. Ten days in. Yeah. So it was, you know, quite a you know, obviously September eleventh happened, you know, and then I was already slotted to go to selection. And it was like, well, you know. And I actually had a little bit of a decision to make then because I knew if I made it, which I didn't think I would, but if I made it, you know, hey, I was going to be in school, you know, for, you know, a good eight, nine months. Meanwhile, you know, all the other SF guys would be deploying, you know, so, but I was looking at the long-term strategy and that was, hey, but yeah, I'll suck it up there at the beginning, but then I'll have, you know, much more deployments, which I ended up doing 12 deployments and 40 total months time in combat. So yeah, I got, I got all I could stand. <laughs> So. No kidding. So I knew we were playing the name game before we got started yeah. here. And, and Jeff Teagues, who's been on the show, was saying hi. Right. But the one thing I didn't tell you is my father-in-law is former 82nd. Yeah, the end of, end of, world, end of Vietnam. He was very disappointed he didn't get to deploy. But yeah. He's all American though. <laughs> yep. That's the thing, man. I, I absolutely loved every unit that I was in. I mean, when I was in the 82nd for those five years, I mean, you know, it was obviously the conventional army dealt with a lot more BS and stuff, but man, I just, I just loved it. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, there was a lot of, when I first came in, you know, there was a lot of Vietnam vets, you know, all the guys that they wrote books about and everything that I had read growing up, you know, some of them, like one of them was my battalion sergeant major, you know what I mean? So I had, I had just this uh, pretty incredible fortunate run in the military where everywhere that I went, I always had these senior leaders that were war veterans. You know, I went in 82nd, I had the Vietnam guys, you know, showing us the way. And then in my first team in seventh group, when I showed up, 
there were three guys on my team that were in the wards with El Salvador and everything, you know, so, you know, and then obviously getting out to the unit, the guys that were my OTC instructors were all the Somalia guys, you know, so every step of the way for me, I just had all these experienced. Yeah, man, experienced mentors that, you know, whatever they said was gospel, you know, and so that was, I was just really fortunate along my whole, whole, my whole path. I'm interested in any of those guys that you looked up to early on in any of those units and just maybe any lessons from any of those heroes for you, mentors for you? Yeah. So I just go through a little bit. The first one was my platoon sergeant when I was in the 82nd. He was a Vietnam vet. And short version of the story is like the only thing that I ever wanted to do was like be in the Ranger Regiment. Like that's all I ever wanted to do, which is hilarious because it's the only unit that I didn't go to, you know, but, but anyway, there's recruiter stories in there and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, whenever I was there, I was getting ready to go to, I went to Ranger school, you know, I burned it down the first two years I was in. I just had the opportunity to do a lot of things. And so I went to ranger school and and then right after ranger school, I went to PLDC, which is the primary leadership development course, which is uh, a leadership course that you have to go to in order to go from being a specialist to a sergeant, you know, to become a non-conventional officer. So I went to that right away and then came back from that course and that platoon sergeant of mine, he said, he's like, okay, you know, badass, like, all right. You know, like, I mean, I had two, I was 22 years old, E5, ranger tab, you know what I mean? And so he's like, uh, tell me what it is to be a non-commissioned officer. You know, I just got out of school. I had all the answers. And and of course, of like, you know, mission first. He's like, yeah. And health and welfare of the troops. And he's like, yeah. He's like, what does that mean? Health and welfare of the troops. And then I said, well, you know, beans, bullets, I know how many kids they have, what kind of problems they're having. It's like, no, that, uh, yeah, that's all stuff that you need to know about people that you're leading, but what does health and welfare of the troops mean? I was like, what? That's what I thought it meant. He said, no, what it means is, is you give those under your command the ability to survive and thrive in combat. That's what health and welfare of the troops means. Man, and that was a big difference from, you know, the kind of lack of better word, pleasantries of knowing it. So from that time on, I mean, that's what that really shaped as far as moving forward and, you know, coming in right into a war, you know, helped and then, you know, having those guys. But from that point on, you know what I mean? I, I realized what my job was, just what he said, you know, it's like, hey, it's my responsibility that they have the ability to survive, number one, and but also thrive in combat. So that drove my whole mindset, you know, from from early, early on. I mean, I, you know, right at two years in, you know, so that was that was a really big deal for me. I had really good, I had leaders along the way too, you know, which like, like I was taught was that, uh, you know, a lot of times knowing how not to be is better than knowing how to be, because at least, you know, you won't do that, <laughs> you know, or be like that. So I had a lot of good, a lot of examples of that too. And there was another time whenever, whenever I was in the Q course, back to the question of folks that impacted me greatly along the way. So I left 82nd and, you know, went to SF selection, finished up the Q course and I was at language school. And the first sergeant there at Lang- language school is pretty laid back. You know I mean? It's eight to four, you're, you're just doing language school. PTN in the morning and in the evenings is way laid back, but it was still part of the Q course. Like if you screwed that up and got kicked out, like no tab, no green beret, you know, I mean, it was all in there. So one day, whenever I had a, I had a lot of family stuff going on and, you know, it was just kind of those tough times kind of deal. And, and I missed a couple of formations one morning, like a PT formation, just because I was having to handle personal stuff and everything was okay, but, you know, it was just a lot. And so anyway, I, the first sergeant, you know, I missed the PT formation and then I missed, I wasn't in class, you know, it was about 11. So a uh, buddy of mine, you know, before cell phone days, this is probably, 96 time frame 1996 and uh they came out to my house to check on me like hey man what is going on because they had went and told the first sergeant like hey man this isn't you know spooner's always on time on time like something's wrong you know he's like well y'all go find out so they're like they, they came checked on me it was good to go i was like i was already ironing my uniform and everything because i knew i was about to talk to the man <laughs> yeah not happy so anyway, I go in there and, and into his office and, you know, and I'm like, hey, first sergeant, you know, this guy, he could have ended it for me right then and there. It's like, hey, get out of here. You're done. 
And, and he said to me, he said, he said, so what, you know, what's going on? You know, and I was like, Hey, I, first of all, there's no excuse, you know, why I wasn't where I was supposed to be. You know, I didn't make any excuses. I said, no excuse for certain why I shouldn't have been where I was supposed to be. He's like, yeah, I know. Now tell me what's going on. And I was like, hmm, okay. So I did, you know, and I was saying a little bit of the struggles that next thing you know, the whole thing turned into like he was asking me if I needed time off. He asked, you know, because I'm coming from the conventional army, you know what I mean? Now into this SF stuff, whatever that means, I don't even know, you know, I'm still in school. And and he said to me, he's like, he's like, he's like, hey, in SF, we take care of each other. That that's what he said. He's like, and if you need any time off, you come and tell me, you know, and, and that's how we take care of each other. He said, however, if your name comes across my desk again without you previously telling me, you're out of here. I'm like, Roger that. I mean, I understand that kind of language, you know. So it was, it was very impactful for me because coming from the conventional army where, you know, a lot of, it's a big unit, you know what I mean? There's, you know, they, they can't really take care of you as well there. So it was just super impactful for me that, okay, I was entering into a brotherhood that was different than what I had come from. And, and I really didn't know what that meant, but I was like, okay, that's pretty awesome. You know? And so that was, that was super impactful for me because I'm one of those guys where, where like, Hey, if you do one good thing for me, I'm doing 10 good things for you. You know what I mean? It's just kind of how I was raised, how I'm wired. And so that was impactful. And then he ended up uh, many years later, but he ended up getting killed in Afghanistan on a deployment. But that was he was really impactful to me. And then the next guy that was super impactful to me was whenever it was the Sergeant Major in OTC. um, And for people not familiar, that's Operator Training Course. Right, it's three exactly operator trainer course. And so the Sergeant Major that was in charge of all that, you know, was, you know, like God, you know what I mean? Especially in my position, you know, held my whole life. But at that time, when I started up, which was January of 02, my wife was giving birth to my second son. And so before going into training, you know, they, after selection, they're like, hey, you know, your, your wife's getting ready to have a baby, you know, in January. Do you want to defer the classes, you know, to later on so you can be home? And I was like, hey, I'm in seventh group. Like you deferring me doesn't mean I'm going to be home. Like I'm going to be in Bogota for six months. You know, I'm guaranteed to miss my son being born so i'd rather be in training you know than you know and have to deal with like intense training but but physically be in the united states of america particularly the same town you know that it's a, that's a win and so i took it and i knew it'd be hard but then my wife had a lot of complications pregnancies are hard on her and she had a lot of complications everybody everything turned out right but it was it was a lot and uh, so i'm sitting on the range one day you know in the course black suburban pulls up you know and the sergeant major gets out and says where's spooner you know i'm like great you know like i'm done you know because anytime you know what i mean comes out looking for you by name in a black suburban not good and so he's like hey yeah get in the truck and so we get in and uh, he hands me a cell phone and he says hey look your wife's in the hospital she's okay she's at walmack ran into some complications and and you need to go you know need to go figure out what's going on with the family and i was like he's like here's the keys take this here's let me know what's going on that was before cell phones were really like, you know, that big. But so, so anyway, the shorter version of the story is, is that miss missed probably 13 days of training. And like, no one does that. You know, I figured I was going to get recycled. Uh, I mean, I knew I wouldn't get kicked out because it wasn't performance based, you know, but I figured like, yeah, I'm just going to get, because nobody misses any days of that. And, and then once I finally got it all settled in, you know, I called him up he's like, and said like 14 in and out, but like 14 days later. And I was like, Hey, uh, I was like, hey, my wife's good. My mother-in-law's here because I had a, a three-year-old son, a newborn, and a sick wife, and I'm in training. You know, so not a great <laughs> scenario. My mother-in-law family, my mom, you know, family came in, was taking care of it. And I said, hey, told Sergeant Major, I'm like, hey, I'm good to go for training. And then he's like, okay, here's what's going to happen next. Uh, you're going to be at the Raleigh Airport. Uh, ticket will be waiting for you. You'll meet up with your team at Fort Campbell and you'll continue on with training. And I just started laughing, you know, because uh, so I even said to him, I'm like, hey, Sergeant Major, isn't this, isn't this like a bit much? You know, like, what do you want one of my kids? Like, what, what's going on? <laughs> And you know what I mean? And he, all he said to me was, is like, hey, it's the right thing to do. That was, 
that was it. It's like, hey, this is the right thing to do. And I was like, dang. So yet again, you know what I mean? Like coming into SF, I kind of had that guy that then gave me that. And then, and that's our major was Sergeant Major Hale, who was, you know, one of the team leaders in uh, Mogadishu, you know, in Gothic Serpent. So it was, but I mean, it was yet another entry thing into me like, whoa, this is going to be way different. And of course it was, but, and then throughout, you know, my career, especially being out at the unit, you know, the, I mean, everyone out there is epic, you know what I mean? So it was just daily, you know, just trying to keep up, you know, one day you're ahead, the next day, you know, and you know, everybody else is trying to beat you, you know what I mean? It's just that good, healthy stuff. But it was back to your question, like, uh, I'm sure there was a bunch more in the in there. I know there was a bunch more in there, but those were the ones that were the most impactful, you know, along the way for me. And it mainly, if I had to boil it down to, it was just, uh, it was just like, uh, they demonstrated to me the level of like how much you need to care for soldiers. You know what I mean? Like, hey, what whatever that is, you know, whether it's a boot in the ass or encouragement or, t- you know, whatever that is, is it, and to do the right thing. You know, it's just like, hey, whatever that is on any given circumstances, you know, so I think that answered the question pretty long. Yeah, yes. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I, it's interesting commonalities in the little stories about about them like really humanizing you like you're you're not just you're not just a recruit you're not just a number like them thinking about you like a full human being and and like they've got rules and regulations and they can throw the book at you but like it's those stories are just dripping with them like being like dialed into you as a real live human not as a problem not as a you know yeah absolutely and the thing that i would say that 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 kind of got me in the door of that is like i was always a performer you know what i mean I, I always was pushing and going hard so so whenever stuff like that did happen i i truly believe you know it's like because i had proved myself that you know what i mean that hey this guy's worth because you know some guys are messing around you know what i mean some guys aren't responsible enough those kind of things you know but it's to your point of absolutely it was you know it was the human you know definitely humanizing and being and leading you know what i'm saying they could have just told me to figure it out they could have you know i mean just done it there was always a easier way you know but they weren't those kind of people either well and and look it's not like they're like pushover doormats like hey do this again and you're out or you like like they're not a doormat but they're like it's interesting that like that line of leadership of like doing the hard right thing instead of the easy wrong thing yeah yeah man and that's in that and unless you've experienced it which i know you have i know i have it's really hard you know it's easy to say like oh choose the hard right over the easy wrong you know but man when it comes time to actually following through with that man it's it's usually a hard hard right you know <laughs> like it's going to cost you uh, something to do the right thing and that's that's funny to bring that up but that's always i love that conversation whenever it's like doing the hard right over the easy wrong it's like yes that's true but then what they really don't talk about is exactly how hard it is to do that right you know what i mean it's usually sometimes even hard with consequences or like all those guys that i mentioned you know they they basically vouch for me you know I me mean, and put their reputation on the line because you know anyone else if i was to just continue to be a screw up or something you know or a problem child or something then they would have been looked at like why'd you keep this guy you know, what's the matter with you for keeping this guy around so that's the hard right with consequences you know is is, is hard it's interesting what dividends it pays to take that really high level of personal responsibility all along the way because by the time you need to like make a withdrawal from that bank account it's too late to make deposits oh absolutely <laughs> right yeah completely is Interesting. You know, we've been lucky enough to have a number of unit guys on the show over the years, but for people who maybe didn't catch those episodes, can you, can you talk a little bit more about, I, I just, I feel like people who haven't spent time in your community, they don't really understand just how different it is to be at that tier one level. Like I, I want I want you to correct me here. This is how I describe it. I say like, take 2 million people in the department of defense you got like 1% in in special operations, right? They're like the pro athletes. You know, if you took if you took all of the collegiate sports athletes, college sports athletes in the world, there's like that that 1% that make it to the pros, right? right? And then they all get lumped together. Oh, you're Ranger, oh, you're SF, you're you're Whiteside Seal, you know, like they yeah. kind of like civilians kind of blend it together. And then when they hear about folks from your unit, they're like, they get the sense like, oh, that must be special. But they don't realize it's like, no, they're like, these are like the full on Michael Jordans of the pro athletes. Like this is that 1% of the 1%, like from a like literal numerical statistical value, 1% of the 1%. 
Absolutely. How would you say it better? I mean, you said it right. That's when I'm trying to explain it to people is that it's just what you said, using a football analogy, because everyone's very familiar with that. Like you said, all the high school football players in the U.S., you know, and then the ones that make it to college, you know, and then the ones that are in college and make it to the uh, NFL. And then I would say the tier one piece of that is, is that, hey, whenever Tom Brady they do, Hall of Fame, when they do the, the, the Pro Bowl, you know what I mean? Like the, that group that they even though it's not it's a sucky game usually you know because they're not doing but that group of folks you know that's there that has you know the resumes that are you know i mean from within the nfl you know what i'm saying so that's where to me it's just you know it's not being arrogant saying that it's the selection process and then the ongoing selection process because that that's the big thing is and it's funny selection is an ongoing process yeah man and it's funny I, I heard you know in the NFL that when I heard somebody say you know it's like it stands for not for long you know because you get hurt you get cut you get you know what I mean you screw up a few times like you're done you know and that's how it is there too it's like uh man selection is ongoing process you know and and it never ends every day you keep you 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 have to keep doing better than you did the day before and that would be the as far as just to give like kind of a view of it and then the the thing though that makes a difference too and I'm not going to get into the the tip for tat against the others is the the one thing that I think is the it's the best thing there is is like is the main tool that they utilize in the selection process which is land navigation you know what I mean because it's number one it's individual you can't do it as a team and then number two it's constant decision making under stress bad weather good weather you're on the clock you know I mean you can ratchet up stress on each one but every step that you take you know is a decision making is a consequence consequence producing decision you know so just that aspect of it and then all the psychological aspects and and all the mental because it's always I always love the dumb army guy thing you know what I mean and it's like oh yeah he was in the army and stuff that means you're dumb you know what I mean and but I love it you know what I mean because then I'm completely underestimated from the get-go because it's uh it, it's a good deal it is interesting one thing I think about is what a high percentage of, of folks from your community that end up entrepreneurs you know like you guys are so both selected and trained to deal with uncertainty. Like, yeah. I don't think people really understand like how much uncertainty is in entrepreneurship. Like the that, people who haven't why, done it. And that's why I rolled right into it whenever I, I got out, you know, and started going into the business world, which was that, you know, I mean, the learning curve was straight up. But so many things were, that's what I, in those circles, I would say is like, yeah, I was an entrepreneur, even in the military, because I kept moving around and moving up. And then, oh, I want to be a sniper. I want to be there. It was just like, oh, I'm an entre- I'm a military entrepreneur, you know? And But that's like you said, getting out and then entering into the world uh, of business and everything. It was uh, so much was very familiar, like nothing's guaranteed. Like, I mean, you, and the greatest plans in the world, you know what I mean? Like we always say, you know, one shot, everything's changed you know but you have to have a plan to shift from you know so yeah and no quick reaction force to save you you know another thing along those lines I think about well it's interesting to me like the willingness to be uncomfortable that's an uncommon trait in our society and I think that's a, such an advantage for you guys like so I've owned two businesses with former unit guys former unit guy director of our charity child rescue you know Mm-hmm. And I, I, I get to analyze them a lot because, because of, you know, it's, I stay at their house, they stay at my house. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I, and, and I guess maybe, you know, like the statistics thing, people can get a sense for it, but I guess the reason I have such like a visceral feeling for like, just how special it is, what you guys were a part of is because I'll hang out with like SF guys who are like, maybe they went to Grand Branch stuff or like, I mean, like legit 20 year dudes, right. Who they did professional MMA, you know, like no neck look like a bull, like scare everybody in the room, like the, the ultimate alpha in any room of men. Yep. And a unit guy comes in and you think the guy was in junior high. I mean, the way he defers to him and like, I'm, this is so great to have you here. And just, you know, like the, the, the just extreme levels of respect from the guys who are like in almost every other room in their life, they are the alpha dog in that room. That, that really like, that is really what got me so much more intrigued with What's so different? Like exactly. this guy looks like king of the world and all the guys like this are like the king of the room they're in. And they're like a little kid when those guys walk in the room, what's, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing for me, man, is uh, 
when I was in SF, thank God, not outwardly, but inwardly, I would think the same thing. Like as far as when it came to unit guys, because I was in, uh, you know, when I went out, I was in army standards, I was late going in, you know, I had 11 years in the army. I was senior E7, you know, getting ready to be a team sergeant in seventh group. And so, so I, I had done a lot. You know, and we were a CQB team and we were super good and we were, you know, any competition that we were against, we won, you know, I mean, all of that kind of stuff is like, man, how much different can it really be? You know, that's what I was saying to myself. Thank goodness. And uh, well, then I get out there, you know, so, uh, you know, and I get out there and then it's because you don't see the bar. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I mean, the standard that's around, you know, what is only what you see. And obviously what happens out there, no one sees unless you're out there, you know? So I was that guy that went from like, you know, like you said, the top dog, you know what I mean? To now like go into this other world. And then I get into that other world and I was like, oh, th- th- this is, this is different. But it's so, what makes it so different. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, finish your thought. Because what makes it so different is that, out there at the unit, you cannot compare it against any other, and I'm just talking army units. You can't compare it against any other one because it would be completely unfair. And the reason why I say that is like, hey, the only thing you do out at the unit is be on a mission or training for a mission. That's it. There's no there's no limitations on money spent. There's no limitations on range time, on ammo, on whatever that you want to do that will improve yourself in your job description, you know, or your team. Like that's what you're going to be doing. So versus a group and range, wherever else, you know, there there's all these constraints, restrictions, details, other missions, those kind of things. So that's why it's 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 phenomenal. It's almost like a difference between, you know, Olympic. It's like an athlete. Olympic. It's just so funny that you said that at the same time. Yeah. Where it's, that's your life, your life, you know what I mean? Is your weapon systems and, you know, and being able to perform your job description under any condition at any time, you know? Well, and like a pro athlete, you can be gone tomorrow. Like this is like the, like, it is truly like, you know, these no fail missions, like, we love you. And if you are the weak link, we like, we can't afford, no matter how much we like you, the mission can't afford to have anything, but like the absolute top Olympic athlete of this sport there is, at least that's my understanding. Oh no, absolutely. It is, man. Because like I said, the, the strategic nature of everything, you know, it's strategic, you know, it, it only takes, that's why the whole selection process, the hiring process, all of the training, all of the standards is because the youngest guy that's out there, meaning youngest time in the unit, let's say, could be in a position to influence the world and how it sees the United States of America with one trigger pull or with one bad decision. It's going to impact because it's going to be on the news and then it's going to just, you know, I mean, so, so that's why that selection process is the way it is. And that's why the standards are the way that they are is because it is a no-fail mission just being out there because it's because of those reasons like we said that with the implications that will occur with a bad decision <laughs> yeah well uh, now that we've set the tone for it right. i i want to talk about one of my favorite subjects whenever i get to meet somebody like you i'm so interested in the mental game so you know some uninformed newscaster will say like you know and i, and I train navy na- naval special warfare guys did leadership classes I, i've got really great friends one of my favorite oh sixes of all time of all time is an nsw guy who was who was on this year recently and but when some uninformed newscaster says like the hardest military training in the world right and you're like well when you take guys off the street and 80% wash out that that's hard right but when you take people who were already a seal like you know one of my guys was the guy who used to run child rescue for us was swick and is actually one of only two swick guys to ever make it over to you but, you know like folks who are already sf and 95% of them wash out like yeah. that's a that's a completely different level. So my question for you is, with such, it is so improbable that you make it into the unit from a statistical standpoint. Right. What, how did you handle the mental game? What did you tell yourself moments of doubt or on the long walk or, you know, like what, uh-huh. what did you, what do you think it is that helped you even get in, which so insanely few people do? Right. So the, just the story, my story, I'll stick with me. And then we'll go from there. It is, you know, I, like I said, I love being in SF. A lot of guys, some guys go to the unit because they're tired of being where they are. 
The only reason why I went to selection was because I didn't want the regret of not trying, right? Because, again, I, I, I loved being in group. I mean, I, I just loved the mission, everything about it. But I didn't want that regret. So, so that's why I went to selection. And, but I, if I, I was not placing any bets on me, I'd just come off of a trip from Ecuador. I mean, I was in great shape, you know, but I wasn't anywhere where I wanted to be. And I knew that, like I said, with a lot, all the land navigation, it was like I, I knew I had to be very accurate. So to the, the mind game, like you were saying, is number one, I didn't think I was going to make it, but I didn't let that bother me any. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm going to give it all I had. You know what I mean? It wasn't like in my head or anything like that, but I wouldn't have placed a bet on me. And so the big thing for me in that was, is that, hey, I have to be super accurate uh, because I don't have the wheels, you know, the physicality, you know, to have a huge mistake and then recover from it, you know? So, so that's how I made it through selection, you know, was just, and then the, the mind game though, is that the, the number one thing, and, and you mentioned it when it says willing to be uncomfortable, um, comfortable would be an uncomfortable, that kind of deal. But I think it's, that's a secondary thing. I'm willing to be uncomfortable because of the goal. You know what I mean? So, so I like, I'm just not going to be uncomfortable by choice because I'm not dumb. Uh, you know? <laughs> so, so anyway, that, that, that was my attitude going into it as far as selection is just like, Hey man, be accurate. Just one left foot, right foot. Like, just don't quit. You know what I mean? The whole thing of like, Hey man, just don't quit. Like you said, but I had already, you know, been to Ranger School. I'd already been, you know what I mean, a long time. Q been course. to SF Selection, Q Course, ton of hard stuff in there. So like you said, man, I like I already done a whole lot over half my about half my career at that time. And so I was pretty tough, pretty physical, but it was just like, man, just just keep going because I really wanted it. It's like, well, it'd be super cool. And then whenever they said like, oh, you know, you, congratulations, you completed the physical portion, you know, and I'm like, man, like that was a huge win, you know? And so I proved that, hey, you could pass without running everywhere, <laughs> but, but past that and just back to, uh, and then my next lesson learned was back to the mental game, to the question that you said is like, hey, how do, well, they asked me at the end of uh, the training course out at the unit, you know, they're like, hey, what, what, did, what was the number one thing you learned here? And I was like, immediately I said, how to recover quickly <laughs> because you're going to make mistakes, right? I mean, everybody, no matter how perfect you are, like, hey, you're going to screw up. You're going to have a bad day, have a bad moment. And it's going to be big. And then you, but the thing about out there is, is that, so here's my, let me finish that thought. I have some TBI, you know, so I bounce around a little bit whenever, whenever I get tired. But I so just have how ADD. To, how to recover quickly is what I was talking about. And that's what I told them. And then but here's where I knew again, that things were different was we were in training, in the training course, you know, we were doing CQB close quarters battle. We were still kind of early on, you know, everybody's just kind of getting the feel of it and everything. And one of the guys, one of the trainees, you know, made a, a bad, dumb mistake. And, uh, and without trying to explain what the device is like, anyway, a small bomb went off in his hand, like a door charge thing. You know, his glove goes flying, a finger goes flying. And because uh, he, he screwed up, you know, with a charge there, nobody else was hurt. I mean, he ended up being fine, but well, minus a finger. But anyway, my point is, is that that happened. Like we, so we were doing runs in the house, like uh, team one goes in, they do a hit, team two goes in, team, you just doing that all day long, you know, or all, half the day. Well, you know, that was the flow we were in. And then, you know, dude gets his hand blown off and stuff or finger blown off. And, you know, they come pick him up, take him to the meds. And, you know, everybody's a little bit in shock. Like, man, dude just blew his hand up, you know, right here. And then the instructors look right at us. So he gets in the car, the instructors get him, you know, that with the medics, they take him off. They immediately turn around and say, next team at the breach. And I was like, well, hey, dude just blew his hand up. You know what I mean? Like, like a lot just happened here, man. And, and what, and like, okay, you know what I mean? And you're going right in there. So not, and, and the lesson was, is that it, nothing stops this train, like nothing, people getting hurt, people dying, whatever, like this unit is founded on one thing and that's the mission, you know, and how I really got off of that on that. But uh, anyway, it was, no, I, I think it's such a, it's such a different mindset. You know, I, I don't know who said it, but there's like, there's been a lot of wussification of America. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like I grew up in this, you know, as a 10 year old, I moved from a city of a million to a farm town of 3,500, wow. you know, and there's a lot more working when you move to a little farm town. <laughs> you actually work, you know, mm -hmm. 
And, and like, there's not as much video game. We played video games, but not as much as I did in the city. You right. know what I mean? And there's like, anyways, it's just, there's more real life and there's less, there's less like, oh, there's extenuating circumstances. You don't have to take high personal responsibility. You don't have to figure it out. There were circumstances, right? Yeah. It's like some chewing gum, duct tape and bailing wire. And we put it back together and did our stuff or something, you know? I um I joke about you guys and I say they're like the guys that like they jumped out of the airplane and they lost everything but all they had left was a big pen they're still going to accomplish their mission. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> so my yeah. next one my next one is I I think so I know we talked a little bit beforehand and I didn't really tell you like ever since I saw your your BCM special on YouTube like I've been a fan so I'm a little bit of a fanboy I didn't want to tell you that up front but I've been following you for a few years and we've actually reached out a couple of other times to have you on the show and I I think. It's you know, it just didn't get to through, get to you through the PR team or something. So yeah. I was really excited when you finally were coming on. What you're doing at Warrior's Heart is so interesting to me, and, and I want you to intro it. But I want to start off with how stoked I am that somebody at your level, like an actual Michael Jordan of the space, is is one of the people leading the charge here. Because then it makes safe, it makes it safe for all these other guys who would be concerned about being perceived as weak or all sorts of issues of like admitting the admitting some PTS and some issues. Like you made it safe when somebody as awesome as you is willing to be honest. It makes it so much easier for all my other buddies and these people I know to be honest. So that's a thank you from me to you. And then let's tell people what Warrior's Heart is. Absolutely, man. Yeah, it's, you know, and, and before a little bit of Warrior's Heart, because we talked about all that military stuff there, the, the good parts of, well, all of it is a good part of it, it's just part of it. But then when my I finished my, my the, at the end of my run there at the unit, I, I, I got sober back in 92, not the alcohol police, like, hey, there's nothing wrong with alcohol. You know what I mean? It's a big part of our culture, our community. But if it's destroying your lives and it's destroying your families and your job, yeah, I got a problem with that. And so should you too, you know, so, but I'm not the alcohol police. I just want to put that up front, but I got sober in 92. And so the majority of my military career, you know, 18, almost 19 years, you know, after that, you know, I was very passionate in, in my sobriety and, you know, and in 12 step groups and helping other guys, you know, get it. And the majority of those other guys were other soldiers, fireman, firefighter, you know, I mean, that little genre, you know what I mean, of service workers, you know, and so that was a huge passion of mine. And thank God, I, I didn't have that as far as in my problem set at the end. But uh, in 2010, you know, I had a I was having a lot of symptoms, I ended up having a undiagnosed traumatic brain. Injury. And then I had a lot of PTS going on. The only thing that saved me was I didn't have the chemical dependency, because that's kind of the trifecta of what's killing the majority of our folks, you know, is is the PTS, you know, TBI and chemical dependencies. And can know? we, just for anybody not familiar, post-traumatic stress, PS, I love not calling it a disorder. Can I just bring that up? Absolutely. Okay. So I love calling it, I love that it's getting called PTS these days. So post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury for anybody who doesn't know TBI. Yep. And then the other thing is the chemical dependencies or self-medication, you know, and so for me, I didn't have the self-medication piece. I had a lot of good tools. I have incredible family, everything, but man, I had an undiagnosed TBI and I would, I mean, I worked out at where I worked, you know, for almost 11, 10 years, I drove from the same spot, you know, the same 20 minute track. And I would have to put my address in the GPS because I wouldn't know how to get home. So, I, I mean, I was having some severe uh, and then a big, huge emotional mood swings, inappropriate. When I say inappropriate, not that I was doing anything inappropriate, but like if something happened and I should just be a little upset about it, like I'd just be totally pissed off or totally sad. You know, it was just these big things that wasn't me, you know, I'm pretty even guy. And so anyway, I, I had that going on in PTS, but but when I got diagnosed with the TBI, it was uh, very relieving, the traumatic brain injury, because I thought I was losing my mind, you know, and then come to find out, I was like, no, just a piece of it's broken, you know, and because I mean, I've had back surgeries, shoulder surgery, you know, all the broken parts that everybody who did what I did has. And uh, so I understand injury, PT, healing, you know, physical therapy, all that stuff. So Ended up going and getting cognitive therapy, vestibular therapy, psychological therapy. I even had to get on meds for about eight months, you know, because I was just not balanced. And so, and it was just, I mean, it was just a result of the job, you know what I mean? Like, I don't regret any of it. The only thing I regret is not being able to do it longer. You know, I'd planned on staying in for 30 years and, but I ended up getting med boarded out for those willingly, you know, for PTS, TBI and spine stuff. So, and that was in 2010. 
9-11 time frame. So in that time frame, there wasn't what's going on now, you know, as far as the big talks about veteran suicide, the big talk, you know, uh, TBI, you know, we've made light years of progress. Back then it was, I was basically having to fight to get better, you know, and so the cool thing is, is all that stuff actually worked. So I just started attacking my post military identity in life the same way that I did, you know, as in the military. And it was like, what schools can I go to? What can I do? Like now my team was my family, you know? So, so the big thing, and I'm weaving that into a warrior's heart, you know, a, a huge thing for me is like, I just don't want guys to suffer the way that I suffered, you know, and not have the assets available to be at their fingertips because it's horrible. And so, so that's where warrior's heart came. So I was very, really involved in veteran suicide and helping out where I could and, you know, and all that. But in 2013, I met my partners, which is Josh and Lisa Lannon. And I met a Josh Landon. It was at a, you're going to love this one, right? Because of what you mentioned, your background is, is he's part of the YPO network. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, um, and I was trying to make money, but, you know, it was 2013. Uh, so me and my brother, a couple other guys, we put together a course for YPO. And you're going to love this. And we called it U.S. Army Special Operations <laughs> Leadership Experience. Dun, 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 <laughs> you know? <laughs> So yeah, I'm getting some of my, some of my favorite mentors are YPO guys. And yeah. I bet they ate that up. Awesome organization. So it was a, it was a three-day event. I mean, it was, it was intense, but that's where I, and at that event, we started doing these things called veteran experiences. We called them then. And what that is, is that, you know, we would take the folks, trusted agent people, you know, that like the YPO guys that came through there, there's only about 12 of them, you know, awesome, awesome, great Americans, you know what I mean? And, and so we would do this veterans experience. And it's basically what it was is in the dark, in the woods, I'm going to tell you a story that we don't even talk about amongst ourselves, you know what I mean? And uh, very emotional, very, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So it, it made a huge impact. And uh, Josh, you know, he had already been running uh, high end, high level of care, drug and al alcohol treatment centers for 10 years prior to me meeting him. And uh, he said, hey, the next one that we wanted to do, this was after the training event, but you know, it's like the next one we want to do is, you know, for veterans healing center, you know, and it's like, man, you know, I'm kind of into that, you know, and so short version of the story, we had partnered up. And then in 2015, we acquired the property that's Warrior's Heart, which is a 543 acre ranch. It was an old Conoco Oil Executive Retreat back in the day when they first built it. So it's resort-ish. And then in 2016, that, we is that, where is that one? Is that the one outside of San Antonio? Yep. It's uh, about 50 minutes outside of San Antonio in Bandera, Texas. Okay. And, and so then we opened up in April of 2016. And since April 2016, we've had right at 1800 warriors come through and that's active duty, veterans, law enforcement, EMTs, first responders, firefighters, you know, basically the who's qualified to come out there is those who face life and death as a profession on a daily basis, you know, and yeah, and it's yeah, and that's how that's how it got started, you know, and I couldn't have done it on my own. I'm a subject matter expert in my vein. And, you know, and but that's what I've heard the you know, the having a good partner is someone that you can't do what they can do, and they can't do what you can do, you know, and that's what makes a solid team and, and Joshua and Lisa Lannon, you know, I mean, are my partners at Warriors Heart. Well, that's great. I, I'm interested, what what's an example for people of, you know, versus you know, an NA or an AA program, uh -huh. what's different when it's, when it's that group? What, what's, how do you guys help them differently than, than maybe just a general program? Yeah. So the, you know, the, there's the, the folks that come to us, you know, so we meet everybody where they're at. So who is that that's coming to Warrior's Heart? It's everything uh, from a homeless veteran. And why say homeless, like a few years homeless, not like that one time. So a guy, you know, a veteran that has absolutely nothing coming to us. And then an active duty uh, member that, you know, hadn't gotten into any trouble and, you know, is a rock star, you know, he's, but hey, I need some help. Can't stop on my own, you know. And when I say can't stop on my own, it also means like, hey, they, they tried their local, you know, what I mean, they tried doing it on their own or with assistance. It's like, hey, they, they need to come into a treatment program. So it's 42 days minimum in inpatient treatment. 
So whenever they come there, I just always go like to any kind of schoolhouse, you know, when you're in the bubble, you know, I mean, you're in that secured environment and it gives you the space that you need, you know, I mean, all your distractions are taken away. You're there to work on you, you know, in that environment. Because the thing about the environment and why we kept the population of Warriors Heart that, you know, with the Warriors is, as you know, there's no pressure like peer pressure, you know, like we've always known. So having a peer network, you know, is paramount being there because the, 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 the words that we use, mentorship, you know, and those kind of things, like they just happen naturally with this population. Like you see the new guy, the old guy's always helping out the new guy. You know, I mean, that was part of the stories that I was telling, you know. And so all of that, all that stuff occurs with that peer group and, and in that environment. But I, I think I distracted from your original question. No, I think that's, I think that's incredibly important. And I really liked where you went with the answer. You know, so we, I have family members that, yeah. that have, have had substance abuse issues, friends, all sorts of stuff. I've had clients that, you know, corporate clients from our consulting firm that run, you know, facilities that are kind of like yours, but, but not specialized like yours. I'm interested for you, for those folks that feel hopeless, mm-hmm. that feel like I know it worked for other people, but it's not, it doesn't work for me. Right. What What's like a message of hope you'd give for somebody like that? Yeah. And it's not cliche whenever it says, uh, hey, you're not alone, you know, and that's one of the reasons like you had mentioned, even that BCM story, you know, it, it's my whole messaging. And the reason why I go as in depth as I do with my personal story is, is that it's because it's that attraction rather than promotion. You know, we're not selling anything, you know, we're trying to attract and we do that because like, because I've been there. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I, I'm a co-founder of Warrior's Heart, but I was also the guy, you know what I mean? That, that needed it. Yeah, a hundred, still. <laughs> that's that's the big joke is that, uh, you know, oh, Tom created Warrior's Heart, you know, for Warriors to come through. And it's like, yeah, man, I created a place so I'd have somewhere to go, you know, with with my people. So it was, but it it is, man. And, it, and everything that we do there is very familiar. The number one thing that I would say, like you said, back to that hopeless thing, and it's what we do out there is remember who you are. Because, you know, everyone that comes to us, you know, you don't come to treatment on an upswing. You know what I mean? <laughs> no one, I don't remember on one of my life goals was ever like, man, I can't wait to the day I have to go to rehab. You know, I don't think that's on anybody's list, you know? So, so when they come to us, they've gotten to a, the lowest part they've ever been in their lives. But the majority of the people that are in there, they're the top 5% of whatever profession that they come from. I mean, they're usually super talented. You, you know, I mean, just something happened along the way. So the number one thing is to remember, remind them of who they are, not who they are not. You know, because all that we need to do is get rid of all that stuff that you're not. And then we're just left with what you are, which is a really good thing. And everything that we do out there is it's it's not militant. It's not militaristic by any means, because who would sign up for that? Especially me being a unit guy, you know what I mean? I'm like, it's like, but what it does have, it has the same battle rhythm. It has the same flow that if you've been to a boot camp, if you've been to a training academy or any, any course, it's like, Hey, you know, we don't have formations or anything, but Hey, accountability huddle at zero seven. Hey, Chow's at seven 30. Hey, nature walks at eight 30. All right. Class starts from 10 to 12 lunch at noon. Okay. We got electives in the afternoon, metal shop, wood shop, canine program, go fishing in the lake. And then, hey, 1700 is chow. Uh, get your phones at 1800. Hey, uh, 1900, 2030 is group. And then free time until 2300 lights out. So it's got that, it's got that rhythm, you know what I mean? That that's familiar, you know, because we all know that environment matters, you know, and, and our folks, we don't get well in hospitals, in a hospital setting, you know, it usually you want to talk about PTS, there's more PTS re- related to hospital settings. And, you know, cause it's just horrible, you know what I mean? Somebody's either dying or trying to heal and, you know, so everything that we do out at Warriors Heart is opposite of, of a hospital setting. I mean, grateful for hospitals and what they provide and what they do, but, you know, the approach that we use out there is is much different than any other place. And the one thing that I did want to mention before I forget is that what makes Warriors Heart different too is that uh, you hear all these discussions, and I'm sure you've heard them with the with the crowds that you're running with. But it's like they'll say, "Hey, is it the trauma or the unprocessed emotions that cause me to self-medicate? You know, to drink too much or to use drugs, 
or is whenever I'm drinking brings up the trauma, you know, it's the chicken or the egg. It's like, well, who cares? Like treat both of them at the same time. And then it, then who cares which, which came first? So that's a, out there, we do what they call dual diagnosis, where it's primary for chemical dependencies. But we know that if you don't treat the underlying, you know, issues of PTS, mild traumatic brain injury, uh, moral grief and injury and all that kind of stuff, like it's not going away. You know, it's uh, it's why a lot of those programs don't work because they have it so siloed off. If you're in behavioral health, you know, getting PTSD treatment, like, hey, but you're burning it down, getting drunk on the weekends, like that's not going to work. Or if you're in your chemical dependency thing and they're like, hey, don't bring up that war stuff, you know, that's, that's, you know, we're one, you know, it's the holistic piece, you know, it's like, hey, we have to heal all that together. And that's where the peer network comes in too, man, because we got screwed up together. We got to heal together. That just is logical. I mean, that's not like any... Yeah. <laughs> big brainstorming thing well anybody listening who, who qualifies or if you know somebody who's active duty veteran first respond go to warriorsheart.com and check it out and and get you know get that website in other people's hands and there's there's a bunch of good videos of tom online you know look up tom spooner on on youtube <laughs> you're going to find a bunch of good stuff you can forward to them you don't have to say it to them and any any other advice you'd have for somebody who's got a loved one who you know qualifies in that small group you know and it's a lot of times that it's it is the loved ones family members or friends you know i mean that that really are the initial contact and sometimes it's a hard conversation with the individual that actually needs the treatment or needs the healing you know in in a good way to to approach them is like you said is the videos like hey check out this video like black rifle coffee did videos for us you know talking about warrior's heart we have the warrior's heart documentary on amazon and so that's kind of a, a segue into even if you don't have a conversation, if someone clicks on it and watches those videos, you know, it's very informative and, you know, and they're usually got a lot of depth to them, you know, so it's super helpful. Yeah. Maybe shifting gears just a little bit, you know, it is, it's an organization, it's a business, it's got to run, right? It's not, I'm interested in any lessons from your time in, in any of your units, but especially uh, your last one, any thoughts about selection when you think about who works at Warrior's Heart and and how you've chosen your employees and how any of the CEOs or people listening today is they're trying to choose whether it's business partners or employees or consultants like can you give us some of your thoughts on on selection yeah so there's a there's a saying and it's actually a doing you know out there but it's that hey you don't want the best guy uh, you want the right guy you know you don't want the best gal you want the right gal you know meaning it's like okay what does that mean you know and and, and i it's not cliche using the terms but like culture is everything you know and if you're trying to a new company and you're trying to build a culture you know that's one thing or if you're trying to change it but the culture is is what it's all about you know i mean if you're the one thing that i'll i will say though uh, that i've seen in business not not at warrior's heart but you know it's easy if if business owners, you know, or CEOs that you know making a lot of money and product, everything's doing good. A lot of times you don't have to do what we had talked about before, do that hard right over the easy wrong. You know, you can kind of run it however you want to and like whatever it is is what it is. But if you're not, you know, getting that culture to do it right and in the selection process, I think they call that a hiring process outside of the military, is you know, is so important, you know, as far as like how to, you know, and, and what I've found is like really getting that job description right, but really looking at the qualities that you want of the human being that's going to be in that job description, you know, and I'm not talking about getting into all their business because, you know, private life is private life, but it's, you know, it really has to match core values, work ethic, mission, vision, you know, all of those things, not just as words, but, you know, they really have to have to meet up with that. And it's the hardest thing to do. You know what I mean? Like running the business, do it, you know, getting vision, product, mission, all of that stuff you know, is the easier part of it. The, the hardest part is always the same thing as the humans. It's like, hey, how do I, how do I, how do we get the humans right? You know, and so it leads me to my next question, you know, hanging out with you guys <laughs> a bit, you're not exactly wilting flowers, you know, you get a bunch of meat eaters together and you get right. some folks who have some different opinions. Right. I, I'm interested in any of your philosophies on conflict resolution, because if people aren't rowing in the same direction. That's a huge drag on mission success, Right. So I'm interested in your thoughts of, of both in the unit and now running a business, you know, whether it's, you know, you seeing something different than someone else or your two of your people having, mm -hmm. having some friction. I'm interested in any of your philosophies on what you found effective. So the, uh, so in the, in both sides, it's Josh, my partner, Josh said this, he got it from somewhere. I don't know where. 
but there's this saying it says structure governs function. So when you said conflict resolution, you know what I mean? Different opinions and stuff. It's like, number one, it's like, hey, what's the structure that that's available for that to, to even go into? Example would be if I'm in, you know, on the, you know, active duty, you know, at the teams, like, yeah, we lock the team room door. <laughs> and we're about to work it out. Like we can yell about it. We can talk about it. We can write about it. You can fight about it, whatever. But whenever that door opens up, we're going to be a team and we're going to leave. That's the millet. That's, that's to answer your question on that side. It's uh yeah, it's, it's pretty uh, caveman-ish kind of rules, you know what I mean? But again, it goes with the job description of the physicality. I mean, it kind of fits, you know, is he can talk about it or fight about it, but we're going to work this out and we're going to, we're going to, be on the other side but then obviously you know that doesn't work outside of <laughs> outside of where i was in so it's like what comes to conflict resolution like you said what it, number one do we have a structure where where that can be do we have a framework you know whether it's ear issue clearing protocols it's like hey if you have an issue with a coworker, do you utilize the chain of command when do you go to hr you know what i mean at what kind of that point as far as whenever it comes to that conflict resolution and the biggest thing for me that it's that's helped within the military where i was at in the military is is that you know is getting the job description right you know because it was here's how the learning curve was for me whenever I, and i'm not talking about warrior's heart when i first got out and in the workforce is someone's not doing their job and i'm like yeah fire them you know and they said well we can't fire them i'm like why not they're not doing their job it's like well because if we fire them then we have to pay their unemployment what you know and then and then if we fire them they'll sue us i was like i don't even know what you're talking about now so i had to learn you know what i mean this whole process and procedures of like not just going around firing folks but there's a methodology to it there's a there's a way of doing it and the one thing we talked about culture earlier and it really applies into here you know if there's one thing that destroys cultures immediately yeah immediately it's favoritism you know on the personal side you know encroach it on the professional because then there's no standards, then like, oh, be buddies with the boss or that kind of stuff. But back to that culture and back to everything that we're talking about, you know, is that if there's either a standard or there's not, like uh, some people call it a double standard, like that's just semantics. But, you know, it's back to that hard right over the easy wrong, you know, to establish a standard, you know, I mean, that's a that's a professional thing to do, you know, and, and if my buddies don't meet the standard, then they're out. I come from that kind of a culture. I've, I've been held to that standard, you know, and, and that brings about maximum performance if that standard holds true. But what ends up happening is in some cases is, you know, favoritism will come to play. And then everyone knows that like, what well, nothing matters anyway, because it's who you know, not how you're doing and everything. So, I mean, performance-based stuff is just, yes, I'm talking all around. I love it. <laughs> okay, no, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm literally sitting here thinking about projects we're doing right now where, and thinking like, oh yeah, does everybody on the team, like, are those written standards? Has everybody signed off that we're all playing the same sport? Are, are we actually singing for the same music or is it just like, what I think the standard should be. Like if we had a group discussion and what it what is like, we're, we're looking at some new partners and there's tens of millions of dollars involved. And part of that, we're in the honeymoon stage on. Yep. And like, have we put our adult hats on and said, okay, but what about when the honeymoon's over? Yep. What's the standard then, you know? And and they're not employees of mine. They're, they're going to be business partners that our fund is partnering with. You know what I mean? So we don't, we're not going to be able to fire them. You know no. what I mean? And so what does that look like? You know, like, you know, and that's where to me, it's like, Hey, you take, I was taught it. And then it's in all the books, but man, like put it on paper. You know what I'm saying? It's Sounds like, so simple. Man. Sounds so simple. It is so uncommon. It is man. And it's so, because a lot of times that, you know, you're leading off the ear, almost like uh, to your words, like you're ending that honeymoon early, you know, because like, dang, man, now we're going to talk, we're talking about the hard stuff, like right up front, you know? But the thing is, is that it just saves us all from our ourselves and from each other. You know what I mean? I, that's why I, that's why I love it, you know, and is because, you know, I've had some hard, I'm sure you have too, you know, hard lessons learned that cost a lot of money and, and friendships, you know, along the way of and even family relations, you know, of like, hey, when you combine that, like, man, you just got to get it right. You know what I mean? Get it down on paper. Like, hey, what are the expectations? What are the standards? And are we all, do we all agree on this? Like, because if not, like, let's, let's either work it out now and, you know, come to a compromise and agree on that, 
or like, okay, well, this, this might not be a good idea, you know, because agree now when things aren't tense. Yeah, man. Cause like you said, the honeymoon always ends hard times always come. No, I mean, it's the, I mean, it's life, you know, and you know, when Josh and, and, and I got together about warriors, the first thing that we did was we brought our families together because he knew how hard it was going to be to, to start up warriors heart. I knew I had an idea of how hard it was going to be in our, you know, in our, we had to have an alignment, you know, with uh, core values, like not be exactly the same, but on, on the same path, at least, you know, and so we got that right up front you know and and we knew that hey when not if when these hard times come our mission is solid our vision is solid our core values are solid hey we're moving down the same way you know we we put all that stuff that are in all those books that reads really well but when you actually do it you know i mean it it works it works really well and just saves relationships you know because then there's no i just go back to a staff member or something where it's like hey here's your job description you sign off on the job description you're good at then okay then if you're not doing the job description and i come in and i tell you like hey you know you're screwing up and here's a write-up for it you can't be like oh my god well you don't like me you know something's like no i pull that paper back out and i was like because i'm by trade not that great of a negotiator you know <laughs> so it's like so i just let the uh, argue with the paper not the person you know what i mean that's another thing where it's like no you agreed to this and you're not doing it it has nothing to do with i don't like you or i'm mad at you or whatever it's like here's the standard and you're not meeting it you know and the same to me you know what i mean because leadership goes both ways you know and so that's i just i don't have a high tolerance for drama so it's so i'm kind of saving everyone from me and saving me from myself you know where it's like man let's just I and mean, i've made so many mistakes you know since I, in the 10 years that i've been out i've made a lot of great decisions too but it was man i've had a lot of hard lessons learned like you were saying it's like man how do we mitigate the risk of things going sideways you know in the relationship side of it you know uh business relationship personal whatever it is yeah yeah well, you've been so generous with your time today. Maybe, maybe to end, I will we'll shift gears. Can okay. you tell us a good war story? Can you tell us some like, man, it all went sideways. I didn't know how it was going to happen, or my buddy just got exploded, and this is going on. Do you, can you tell us some like? Can you tell us one of those like defining moments, like some downrange story? Defining downrange story. I can just tell a cool one. That's the only thing that kind of sure. comes to mind. Because most of the defining things to me are just horrible, like mass casualty events and all that stuff. So. I, so the the one thing though that I would I think is a cool story to tell is the is that we ended up there was there was one night we were looking for we were you know I mean rounding up bad guys looking for intel as it related to an American hostage uh, a guy named Roy Hallams you know that was 05. Okay. I think it was 05. Yeah, pretty sure it was. 04, was 05. he was he military or civilian or who's who this guy? He was an ex-military guy that he died around the, I think it was not died. He got rescued around the same time that Reagan died. So overshadowed all that, but he was a, a military guy that was a, a contractor in Iraq and somehow okay. it gotten rolled up and had been in captivity for a long time. And so he ends up with the good story into the story. I'll start with the good part. He ends up getting rescued and you can read about it online. But it was the funny thing of the story was, is that, you know, we were just going on all these loose ends on like, hey, how to find this. I mean, because it was an American hostage, you know, in Iraq. So kind of like our thing, you know, <laughs> so so just loom. we end up doing this, this one uh, hit one night and normal nothing crazy was going on and then then i did some of the questioning at the at the end you know and interviewing we'll call it you know at the end and you know and i had done it for a long time and, and we knew the guy that we were looking for was was like talking to the family back in the u.s he was a negotiator and so that's kind of the guy we were looking for and so we go in there and you know and normally whenever you interview like that you don't you never ask a direct question, right? You know, you just in, I mean, if- More elicitation kind of stuff? Yeah, if, well, if it's your son and you're trying to, you know, he did something screwed up, you're not going to ask him, hey, well, I know you did, you know, you're going to start talking about all these sidebar things and let them paint themselves into a corner and then like, oh my God, yeah, I did. And uh, so <laughs> you never ask the direct thing. And so there was this, this one guy that I was talking with and it was looking at him and I had my little plan of questioning and everything already loaded in my head and everything and i look at the guy and i'm like the eyes are a little bit glassy and a little bit like that and i was like then i smell i was like man i smell alcohol you know and I'm like this dude's drunk and I'm, i didn't say it i was like processing this in my head i'm just kind of getting the situation and it was like 
was like, I was like, man, this guy's drunk. And so I started yelling a little bit, you know, creating a little bit of drama. And then I was like, are you the negotiator? You know, and, and he's, uh, and he said, yes, no, no, no. <laughs> and, uh, and it was, uh, but it had already, you know what I'm saying? Once he had broke his kind of cover there, cause he was drunk. I mean, how, how I mean, who would have thought of that one? It's like, you know, hey, you're in a combat zone. You're going to go roll those guys. And, oh, he's drunk. So he just starts spilling the beans, you know what I mean, and everything. But that's how we got the some initial intel, you know what I mean, that ended up getting American rescued. Where was he being held? Like, was just in somebody's house or? He was, he was beat, man. They had a, they, it, that was just the beginning of the intel piece that I, that I talked to you about. They ended up having to run down a few other guys and got more intel and then finally got to the, the folks that had the intel of actually where he was. And um, so they were able to, but he was hidden in a hidden room underneath all kinds of stuff. And, and like, if you were just to go in there, you would never know that someone was there. So it was, it was pretty one, awesome. one of the other unit guys we had on was on the rescue of this British reporter. Uh-huh. And they had, they had put her in a hidden basement and welded a piece of steel and mm-hmm. put the fridge over and they would cut it off once a day and feed her and re-weld it on and oh, then yeah. put the fridge back over top. Yeah, man. They, they, they're professionals. Crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad there's guys like you out there doing hostage rescue. And and I, I'm, I'm re- again, I just can say it again. I'm so stoked that of all the options that would have been open to you, having been like essentially the Olympian, the pro athlete of the, of the world you came from, that you've chosen to use your reputation and your time on on helping helping our fellow brothers and sisters in need here. Absolutely, man. And it goes back to that, what that guy taught me at first, you know, I mean, instead of the war overseas, now it's the war at home, you know, and my I got a mission and health and welfare of the troops, the ability for them to survive and thrive in combat, except the combat is in between their ears now. But, uh, same mission, same thing. I don't want to learn anything new. So, and I'm, I'm happy about it. Oh, that's great. Thanks again for doing this. Absolutely, man. I'll be happy to come back on any other time. And I'm sorry I missed those initial requests. I never saw I never turned no, don't you down. Worry at all. I, but I do um, want you to know that I never turned you down. I just never <laughs> seen them. Okay. Uh you're you're seriously welcome on anytime. Open door. All right, Jess. Thanks for yeah. having me. Yeah, bye everyone.